Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning is from the first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, to be found on page 1186 in the Bibles in the pew. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Something that uh, goes uh, through my mind uh, probably more regularly than you imagine, and uh, actually some of you might even be surprised I'm going to say this at all, but I know it troubles others as well in that they come and talk to me about it. What is this thing? It is the very thought uh, that I have, am I really a Christian? Am I actually a real believer? I, you know, maybe, I, don't think, I know it's not just me, um, because others come and talk to me about it, but um, I often think about it probably because um, I look at the inconsistencies in my life. Sometimes I think, you're just a great big fat hypocrite, Williams. Are you really a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you, do you go through that? How do I know if I'm a real Christian? Well, you know, as we look at this first chapter in 1 Thessalonians, we see that the Apostle Paul had great confidence that the Thessalonians were the real deal. And uh, we'll see in this chapter that he sets out where his confidence comes from, why he knows that they are real Christians. We can test it. Now, you'll remember from last week that Paul had been in Thessalonica for three weeks uh, before he was chased out of town by an angry mob who hated him and hated the gospel that he was proclaiming. 
And because of the uh, pretty severe opposition that Paul faced, he was unable to get back to the Thessalonians to see how they were doing. Remember, they were new Christians, brand new Christians. They'd only had three weeks of instructions from Paul. And Paul is thinking, are they, are they real Christians? Are they going to keep going as Christians uh, with this great opposition that's come against me, now coming against them? Would they cave in under pressure? And Paul couldn't get back to see them. And so he sent Timothy to see how they were doing. And then Timothy came back, having visited the Thessalonians, to tell Paul the good news that they were indeed going on with Jesus, even though they had had considerable opposition. We read that last week, but just to remind you, chapter 3, verse 6, Timothy has just now come back to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Brilliant news. They've had considerable opposition, but they're still going as Christians. Uh, Some years ago when I was in London, I think of a guy in his mid-twenties who became a Christian. He was working for a bank at the time, doing very well for himself. Um, His friends and his uh, work colleagues, though, when he became a Christian, thought he was bonkers. He went home for Christmas and his family gave him a hard time. They were very dismissive of his faith in Christ, quite, quite, quite quite negative. And as I heard all this, my heart sank. He was a new Christian. He's getting all this hard time. I was really worried for him. But when I met up with him in January, he told me how he was continuing to tell his friends and family about Jesus despite the opposition he was getting. He was excited about all that he was discovering in the Bible as he read it day after day. Other Christian friends of his told me that they'd uh, seen a real change in him. He was putting Jesus before other things. He'd stopped drinking too much. He wasn't selfish. Well, not at least as selfish as he was. And as I heard all this, now the trials that had made me worry for him were now a cause of, uh, of great proof that he was a real believer. As he'd been through this really hard time, yet he'd kept going. Uh, the family had thrown it at him, his friends had thrown it at him, but he kept going through it all. And I was rejoicing now that he really was a real Christian. That's the kind of news that Paul has received from Timothy about the Thessalonians. And Paul, therefore, uh, having got that news, uh, went off to his study with a, a mug of tea and a bacon sandwich. Well, I'm not sure about that. It doesn't say that in the text. But anyway, he went into his study and he got his pen and parchment and he began to wrote, uh, write to the church this letter, which is full of joy and thankfulness. You see how the letter begins. It is a letter of thankfulness. Chapter one, verse two. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. That is a very striking beginning. We might have expected Paul as he put pen to paper to say, um, uh, congratulations, you Thessalonians. Well done. You've kept going through considerable opposition. Brilliant. I'm really proud of you. Good on you. He doesn't actually say that. I mean, he kind of says it, but really his prayers of his thankfulness is directed towards God. It's a prayer of thankfulness. He starts by thanking God because he knows that it is God who makes us Christians and keeps us going as Christians. Now, I reckon we kind of know that instinctively, even if we've never thought about it theologically, because when someone becomes a Christian... My first reaction, I guess yours is, is to thank God because we know that he is the one who did it. We sort of kind of know it instinctively that God is the one who makes people Christians and um, uh, we, uh, uh, we know that it is God who keeps us going as Christians as well. So if, like me, you're concerned that someone you know, is going through a hard time, what do you do? Well, I pray for them. God, help them keep going. 
See, instinctively, we know that God is the one who makes us Christians and keeps us going as Christians. And, you know, frankly, I find that very reassuring because I don't have it in myself to keep going with Jesus when it's tough or when I get a hard time for standing up for what is right. I know what I'm like. I'll do anything for a quiet life, and that is getting even more the case as I get older, frankly. Why would I stand up for Jesus when it brings me trouble? And it does. When I talk about the uniqueness of Jesus about Jesus being the only way to God. People don't like that. Conversations like that are very awkward. When I refuse to budge on the Bible being the final rule on how we should live, colleagues in the wider Church of England disagree and sometimes are quite patronising towards me. Uh, Why do I keep going in it? Because God keeps me going. That said, compared to the suffering that Christians get all over the world, what I face is nothing. I was struck this week reading this newspaper. Um, There's an article... Uh, about where um, uh, the most serious uh, persecution is for Christians around the world. And I don't know if you can see it from there, but uh, you'll see um, uh, big, huge swathes of the world map are coloured in because people all over the world are suffering for being Christian. I think of uh, the Christians in northern Nigeria who would have, uh, when they arrived at church this morning, the first thing some of them will have had to have done was clean off the human excrement that has been smeared on the seats by the Islamists. I think of uh, Christians in Central Asia who have to meet, not like this, but in private for fear of being arrested. Uh, People all over the world today are suffering, but they refuse to give up following Jesus. Some of them uh, actually lose their life as a result of it. Why do they keep going? God keeps them going. Just as he had kept the Christians going in first century Thessalonica despite serious opposition. So Paul, uh, verse two, thanks God for the Thessalonians and especially, look what he thanks them for. He thanks them for their faith, hope and love, verse three. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They have faith in Jesus, they love Jesus and they hope in the return of Jesus. They have confidence that Jesus is going to come back. And he can see, this is very striking as well, he can see this faith, hope and love. I think that's striking because often the way we speak, we think, well, how can I, how can I see faith? How can I see you know, love for Jesus? What, what does that look like? It's all kind of a bit ephemeral. You know, I can't get hold of it. No, you can. You really can see it because, verse 3, Faith produces work, love prompts us to labour and hope makes us endure because I hope in the Lord Jesus I'm going to keep, keep, keep going. Now do you see the point? This is a, and this is the very big point of the chapter. It's always evident to others when someone is a genuine Christian. There are things that we can look at and say that's a mark that you really are a Christian. Because when God works in us and brings us alive spiritually to bring us to faith in Jesus, to love Jesus and to hope for his return, when he does that, we begin to take action. God works on the inside and it can be seen on the outside by the way we live. And that is seen in the rest of this chapter and I think verses four and five really demonstrate that most clearly. Look at verse four. For we know, Paul is absolutely certain, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you. How's he so sure? Verse five, because. And then all the stuff he writes in the rest of the the, uh, chapter. 
There are obvious visible marks in our lives if we're real Christians, if we are chosen by God. And Paul is going to list them in verses 5 to 10. And uh, there are loads of them, but I've clumped them into two groups just to help us. The first one, uh, we come to the first main point on the handout, the way the message of the gospel came to them. So this is how it works. How does he know they're really loved by God? Because of the way the gospel message came to them. And this is verses 4 to 6. Look at verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Uh, You'll remember from last week and Acts chapter 17 that when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he walked into the synagogue, opened up the Bible, opened up the scriptures, and from there he proved that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus had to die and rise again. Now, had we been there in the first century, in Thessalonica, as Paul did that over three consecutive Saturdays, had we been there in the crowd, as it were, what would we have seen Paul do? Well, nothing very spectacular. He was just a little man who wasn't a particularly good orator speaking words, just like now, really. Yeah, okay, keep along. A little man, just speaking, anyway, okay. In many ways, as the Apostle Paul spoke, it looked very, very ordinary, But in another way, as Paul spoke, there was something quite extraordinary going on. See, verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. As Paul spoke, the Holy Spirit was doing a mighty work in the hearts of a number of the people who were listening to him. Again, we saw this last week. Jews and Greeks, men and women, people from all walks of life were deeply convicted of the truth that they were hearing. They weren't just hearing a little man speaking. They were hearing the very word of God. God was speaking to them and his word came to them with great power. It was such a powerful experience that it changed them. It transformed the way they live. Look at the end of verse five. Paul says, you know the way we lived among you for your sake. Verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You see, the, the, the life-transforming work of, the, of them hearing the Bible was that they, they not only saw the way that Paul and Silas lived, but then they, they started to live that way. The Holy Spirit did such a powerful work of conviction in them that their lives were radically changed and they began to live the Christian life. As they listened to the Apostle Paul, they didn't change because they heard an inspiring, motivational talk from Paul which gave them the self-belief that they could self-improve. Now, as Paul opened the Bible, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit was happening. And this supernatural work was so deep and powerful that halfway through verse 6, do you see what he says? In spite of severe suffering, you work on the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Their lives have been so transformed by the powerful, convicting work of the Holy Spirit that even though they began to suffer for being Christians, they not only kept going as Christians, that was remarkable, but they had a joy in their lives as they did it. As they suffered, they were full of joy. Last November, when I went to Cambodia to visit our mission partners, Jonathan and Zoe Norgate, I met Christians like this. I met people who had virtually nothing, living in an appalling environment, in a slum, They had this threat that their shacks were going to be demolished by the government. They virtually had nothing. And even what they had was going to be taken away. And then nowhere to live for some of them. They had no prospect of life ever getting better. It wasn't as if they thought, you know, if we we stick at it, you know, we can improve ourselves. It was never going to get better. 
Uh, generations before them lived there and didn't get better. Yet as um, Chris Nex and I joined them on Sunday morning, there was a joy on their faces and in their meeting. It was remarkable. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That is evidence of a genuine work of God. Paul knew that the Thessalonians were real Christians because of their response to the word of God. Uh, It's there in verse 5. We see it again actually later on in the letter. Let me just uh, point you to that. Chapter 2 verse 13. In chapter 2 verse 13 he says, We also thank God continually. Incidentally that is exactly the same language as we've seen in chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. You see the point reinforced. A great mark that the Holy Spirit is at work in us is that we believe that this is not just a human book, but it is the word of God. So when the Bible is preached, we don't just think this is a religious lecture, just words from men but rather we believe that we are hearing the very word of God to us. When we believe that, of course, we're all ears when the Bible is read and taught, sitting up attentively as if God is about to speak to us, address us personally, because that is exactly what he is going to do. I've sat uh, where you're sitting as my colleagues have preached, and uh, it's as if the sermon was just for me. It's almost as if it doesn't matter whether anybody else is here. God is speaking directly to me. That's the powerful, convicting work of the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 5. As a, well, I was going to say, as an aside, it's not really an aside, it's an important point. People sometimes say to me, and it doesn't happen often, but sometimes they're a bit dismissive, and they'll say, you know, you're a Bible church, we're a Holy Spirit church. Well, look, at least from these verses, I hope uh, you can see that when the word of God is read and preached, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book. And when his word is read, he powerfully works to change people's lives at the deepest level. We don't need to draw, uh, make a distinction between the Holy Spirit and the Bible. I mean, There is a distinction, clearly, but we don't want to drive a wedge between the work of the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And frankly, unless I believe that, I wouldn't waste my time preparing for hours and hours to understand the Bible and to teach it each week because I'm not interested in giving theological lectures. As the Bible is preached, we want to see people transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit so that that we become uh, uh, full of faith, full of love for Jesus, full of hope that he's going to return back one day and so that our lives are positively different as we live for Jesus Christ. And you see here, that transformation comes about as the word of God is read and taught and proclaimed. Uh, Here is my confidence that we here are a genuine people of God. Because you do receive the word of God as the word of God and not as the words of men. And that is a great encouragement to me, but it ought to be a great encouragement to you as well. Uh, When the Bible is taught here, lives are changed by the powerful, powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit. I see that again and again. Be encouraged. I see it happening in individuals, and I see it here as a church family. It is a wonderful thing. Praise God. And uh, again, as, a convic- as this is our conviction, let's be sure that we are doing the things that we're trying to think about doing through these uh, January uh, Sundays. 
Um, reading the Bible every day. If you're not into that, then let me encourage you to do that. There are resources over there. Um, do it so that you hear God speaking to you. And give the Bible away as we were hearing last week. And this week, read the Bible with others to encourage you both. Um, these would be great things to do to see the Holy Spirit powerfully at work among us. So the first mark that the Thessalonians were real Christians was that they were changed by the Holy Spirit as the word of God was preached. Um, the way the message of the gospel came to them, verses four to six. And then second, over the, uh, over the page on the handout, if you're still following along, and much more briefly, uh, second, the, message, uh, the way the message of the gospel rang out from them was the second way that Paul was sure that they were real Christians. Look at verse seven. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Because they, their lives were changed, because they were prepared to suffer for the gospel with joy, they became a, an example, a model to Christians all over the region. Uh, it's a remarkable thought. They'd only been Christians a few weeks. Brand new Christians, yet they became a model to everyone else. But that is exactly what happens, isn't it? Happens uh, when I meet a new Christian full of enthusiasm for God's word. I think to myself, yes, I should treasure the Bible the way they are. I should read it more attentively. Or when I talk to someone who's quite young in the faith and they are ready to go anywhere for Jesus, they'll do anything for him. I, I go, yeah, I've got sort of, um, I've just got, I'm just living a life that's a bit too safe. I need to be ready to do that. And when I see people who've recently become Christians telling others about Jesus, it spurs me on to tell my friends, yeah, why won't I do that? That's the sort of thing that was happening right across Macedonia and Achaia. As the Thessalonians were powerfully changed by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, verse seven, they became a model to other believers in the region. And um, they became a model in two big ways. Uh, the first on the handout, the message rang out from them. Verse eight. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Like a huge bell tolling, uh, the gospel message was heard for miles around. E everywhere, says Paul. You know, we've got a few little bells here, and uh, when they are rung, uh, they, they go quite a distance. They're only small bells. Think of a big bell being tolled. It goes everywhere. Now, Paul is sure that the Thessalonians are real Christians uh, because they have proclaimed the message. Sometimes I hear people say they have a private faith. Do you see how the Bible knows nothing of that? Uh, Paul is actually sure that they're real Christians, not because they've kept it to themselves, not because they kept it private, but because they've told other people about the gospel. And when you think about it, it's obvious the gospel is great news. That is what the word gospel means. It means momentous news. It's like the announcement of the end of a war. I, I've never lived through uh, a wartime in this country, but uh, I know people who in this congregation who have. When, when suddenly the news was announced that the war has ended, um, the, everybody told everybody else. Great news, never heard anything so good. Yeah, see, I don't know anyone who, when they are given really good news, doesn't want to tell others about it. Just last week, someone came bounding up to me to tell me they'd just become grandparents. They didn't wait until the subject of babies came up in the conversation. They just told me. And I'm glad they did. They were full of it, and they should be. 
Oh, look, the good news of Jesus is the best news anyone could ever hear. So is it any wonder when we become Christians, we want to tell others? I'm not saying it's easy to tell people, but just that we want to. We might suffer for it. It's not easy, but we want to. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was bursting with it. I just had to tell people. They looked at me rather strangely, but I still had to tell them. That's what was going on in these new Christians in Thessalonica. And that is a great mark that people are real Christians. Do you see the point? Now, before we move on from this point, I have the very simple but brilliant progression that goes through the chapter. Uh, Verse five, Paul writes, our gospel came to you. Verse six, you welcome the message. Verse eight, the Lord's message rang out from you. Uh, The gospel came to you, you welcomed it, it rang out from you. That, writes John Stott, is God's simple strategy for the conversion of the world. People just bubbling over with the gospel, telling others, That is how this nation is going to be transformed for good and for God. And that's what was going on uh, from the Thessalonians to Macedonia and Achaia and throughout the whole world. So the message rang out. The message rang out from the Thessalonians. And the second way uh, in this uh, passage, their lives sang out. It's a bit cheesy, but hopefully it'll help you to remember. Verses 9 and 10. By that I mean, not only did they speak with their mouths, the message rang out, but their lives were changed in a very definite ways that we've already seen that others could see as well. And with this we close three things then that we see in verses 9 and 10 as marks of the way their lives changed. Three words, if you like, two in verse 9, one in verse 10. Verse 9, they turned. Verse 9, they served. Verse 10, they waited. Three things then that the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia reported about the Thessalonians. Um, First, how they turned to God from idols. An idol, as you know, is anything uh, that uh, you've put in God's place, simply that. Anything we look to to give us what only God can give us. Very often we turn to, to good things and we make them idols. Somebody once said idolatry can be turning to a turning a good thing into a God thing. Idolatry can be taking things like family and relationships and wanting in them ultimate security and meaning when only God can give us those things. See, taking a good thing, family, we're not against family, God is for family, he made family, but when we try to make it the ultimate thing where we're going to find security and meaning, suddenly we're in all sorts of trouble. And uh, I think when anyone is converted... We have this moment where we have to think, what is the big idol in my life? What is the thing I'm looking to that I need to turn from? Be very interesting in your small groups as you think about this to talk about the things you turn from as you became Christians. What were the idols in your life? You think, I need to put that aside. But I don't think it's a one-off thing. It's an ongoing battle in the Christian life because as one person put it, our hearts are idol factories We are very good at making idols all the time. I'm excellent at it. I keep turning to other things rather than to God. I need to keep uh, replacing God, putting him back where he should be uh, because I keep pushing him to one side and putting other things in his place. The Thessalonians did that. They turned from idols to God. Second, they served the living and true God in verse nine. Jesus said, uh, we, none of us can have two masters. We will love one or hate the other But he did say we will serve something. 
So when we turn to God from idols, that will result in us serving him. And people will see that. If you truly are serving him, it will be evident. And it was to the church in Macedonia and Achaia. And that was a second great mark that they were real Christians. And third, they were waiting. Verse 10, they were waiting for God's son from heaven. See, as Christians, we know that the best is yet to come. This is not our home. All the mess and sadness and confusion and pain of life will be sorted out when Jesus Christ finally comes back to wrap up history as we know it and to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. All Christians look forward to that day with eager expectation. And I think especially when we suffer. Of course, they were suffering for being Christians. How did they keep going? They knew there was a great hope. The Lord Jesus is going to come back one day, wrap up history as we know it, start it all over again. That is, in fact, why they were prepared to suffer for Christ with joy. Because they knew this is not it. The best is yet to come. That is a brilliant way to live. To have all your hopes invested in something you are sure is going to happen. And not only sure it's going to happen, but sure that when it does, you will not be disappointed. That's how the Christians in Thessalonica lived. Turning from idols because idols can never deliver. To serve the true and living God because that's how we find abundant, fulfilling life now. And waiting for Jesus to return when we'll be with him forever. When all the rubbish in this world will be wiped out once and for all. No more disappointments, no more pain, no more struggles. And when we live that way, it is evidence that we really are God's chosen people. Well, I guess a number of you are just like me. You go through these times when you wonder if you're just a big fat hypocrite or whether you really are a real believer well of course there's lots of hypocrisy in my life and in yours as well but this is a great encouragement that there ought to be real and genuine evidence that we can look and say you know I am a real believer and uh, for what it's worth I look at uh, so many in this church family and I look at the church as a whole and I rejoice that we're a real Christian church because this is how we respond be encouraged in all the struggles of life and keep going let's pray together our father we want to say thank you to you thank you very much for making us your people and for keeping us going as your people thank you that your word has come to us by the Holy Spirit with great power and deep conviction that our lives have been changed, not perfect, not as we want to be, but genuine marks of changed lives. Help us, like the Thessalonians, to keep going for you, even when we suffer. Uh, Bring us joy in those moments, not because they're good, but because we know there's so much more to come. And we pray you'd help us indeed to be just like them, proclaiming the gospel message because it's good news, turning from idols to serve you and to wait for the Lord Jesus to return. And we pray as we do that, it would give us confidence that we really are your people and ultimately bring glory and honour to your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.